by no one's demand but our own from our home office here in beautiful, sunny, scenic, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast for the second time today recording this opening because all hell has broken loose in the sports world. As we were finishing this podcast, Mayor John Cooper announced that the Tennessee Titans for their home opener at Nissan Stadium would not have fans in the stands. It's over a month until the Jags and Titans kick off. We will discuss that at the end of the podcast. I just wanted to tell you guys up front that some stuff has changed since the podcast was recorded. We still have former Titans wide receiver Harry Douglas. He's going to break down all things Titans wide receivers, Corey Davis, and how he has served as a big brother role for Corey as he works his way through his fifth-year option, the potential that he has to live up to, A.J. Brown, all of these things with Harry Douglas. We have Drake Hills of the Tennessean on Nashville SC and David Ubbin for the latest and greatest in Tennessee Volunteers news. Five good minutes will be spent on Mayor John Cooper making this announcement, and you will hear from Titans president and CEO Burke Nihill, who was at the mayor's press conference today. Let's get it started so we can get it over with. (laughs) Harry Douglas here on the 615 Sessions. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. We are pleased to be joined by a repeat visitor to the pod, Harry Douglas, NFL wide receiver of 10 years, former Titan, former Falcon, now media member, analyst of football mostly, but basketball as well. Harry joining the ranks of the gas bags who talk in front of microphones. We're very happy to have you back on the pod, my friend. I appreciate you doing it. No problem at all. And you see, you have that perfect voice for it all, too. See, I, I'm getting my voice. I'm getting my voice just a little bit. Yeah, how does how does one go about finding their voice in the broadcast game? Because I'm, I'm chemically enhanced. This is years of smoking and drinking, Harry. Like, I, I'm, I'm made this way. How does one go about finding their voice? Well, it's all about uh, repeti- repetition, always constantly, constantly working and hearing yourself and making sure you sound the same. Now, you don't want to you don't want to be high, you don't want to be low. You don't you don't want to do one media session and you're high and then you do the next one then you're low. You want to be able to keep keep it steady, keep it in a straight line. Man, that is that is such a that is such a football player answer, man. It's, I feel <laughs> like I just got off a, a Zoom call with one of the Titans uh, who we are going to talk about today. Harry's been watching film of uh, of all kinds at this point, college, pro. We're going to spend a lot of time on the Titans specifically today, but we'll get Harry's thoughts on where football is right now and, you know, everything's just kind of topsy-turvy. Whether he'll be able to analyze college football games in the fall or not is a matter of, uh, is a matter of you know, we'll find out, I guess, in a month. At this and I, and, and, and I, hope, I hope we can, man, because I think it's a lot of great football to be played out there in the college rankings. Yo, without question. I mean, what and, – and, you know, we can, we can get into this – at length at maybe after the Titans discussion, but I feel, I feel there is so much, so much just fly flying by the seat of your pants, decision-making in the world of college football. You see the stuff coming out about the big 10, the, the, the president's not really having a vote in the cancellation of the season, but we'll, we'll save that for later on in the pod. Let's talk about some of your former teammates. Let's talk about some of the guys <laughs> playing now for the franchise that you used to be 
a member of where you are still, of course, highly respected. Uh, Corey Davis, you're yeah. uh, a good friend of yours, somebody who you helped show, show the ropes in his rookie season as he was being brought along by that Titans coaching staff. He came back to practice today. He's been on the PUP. He's been dealing with some foot stuff. Corey didn't get his fifth-year option picked up this year. It's been tough for him over the course of his career. Has he, has he talked to you at all? Because I know he reaches out to you for guidance. I know him and Tajay Sharp have leaned on you throughout the course of their career. Have you talked to, to Corey at all about uh, the adversity that he faces, whether that's fifth-year option or otherwise? Well, me and Corey, we talk, but it's just genuine um, big brother, little brother talk. Sure. And me helping him out, giving him advice in certain areas of his life, um, whether it's football, whether it's outside of football. And I just want to continue to be that, that helping hand and, and that guy that he can call and text at any point um, for, for advice. And the main thing I just told him, and it's nothing specifically came up, but I told him me being a, a vet and playing the game for so long now, I'm in the media um, and, and seeing him coming through the ranks for, as from a rookie until now is uh, control the what you can control. Control the controllables. Um, you didn't get your fifth-year auction picked up. Hey, don't try to prove anybody else wrong. Prove yourself right. And that's one of the main things is that you have to prove yourself right. Um, believe in yourself 100%. Now, I did tell him this is the part of the career where you have to zoom, zoom, focus, and laser focus even more. Uh, what year is this for Corey? Five, right? This is no, it. Four. This is, this is uh, so this will be, this is year four. Oh, year uh, four. He will, he will, uh, next year would be his fifth year. Yes. Yeah, I think my, my, when I was in my fourth year, it was really a year where I, um, I started even focusing even more, spending more time at the facility, uh, watching a lot more film, just trying to dissect so much so the game of football can come easy. You can just go out there. Um, and not have to think at, at any point. Now, Corey has had numerous of different uh, OCs uh, since he's been there, but the scheme uh, and some of the things have still been the same. It's just the terminology terminology has changed. But for him, it's all going about it's, it's going about doing the things that necessarily don't show up when you're not catching the football. Still win on your routes one on one. Still be open. Listen, the eye in the sky never lies. That's the saying the vets taught me when I, when I came in as a young pup. The eye in the sky never lies. So if you're winning on all your routes, trust me, the coaching staff, management, um, everyone sees it. Opposing uh, defenses, everyone sees it. So j just go out there and play your game and block in the run game. Listen, every time you see a safety in a box, try to dig them out. Yeah. You have that opportunities because – this year is going to be a year for, for, for these receivers to really thrive. I think they're going to do a lot better than they have in the past because you have a Derrick Henry that demands so much attention in the backfield. You're going to see an eight-man box and teams trying to stop the run. So what, what happens there? That leaves AJ one-on-one. That leaves Corey one-on-one. That leaves Adam one-on-one. -on -one. And I just finished watching film on college, or college football, some stuff about uh, last year. And one of the things I put in my notes is that when it all boils down to football, football's football, you have to win your one-on-one -on -one matchups. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's O-line, D-line, linebackers, fullback, running backs, corner, uh, receiver, quarterback, manipulating the defense. When it's one-on-one, -on -one, point blank period, you got to win your one-on-one -on -one matchups. Beat the man in front of you. And he does that, by the way. He does. <laughs> he's done that. 
throughout the course of his career. These big 75-yard, uh, 80-yard runs that Derrick Henry has, more often than not, Corey Davis is out there blocking on the edge for him. He has been uh, selfless in that regard. And listen, with football, because we, uh, we went through this with Marcus Mariota, you know, are, are they legitimate reasons why there are, there are expectations that are not being met? You know, and fans, fans freak out about stuff. Media members like me who don't really have the context, we, we freak out about stuff unnecessarily or before it is time to freak out, before mm-hmm. it's actually you know, reasonable to freak out. And I've tried to keep that in mind when evaluating and analyzing Corey. I watch Phil. I've, I've seen every snap of this dude's career probably three or four times through. It's my job to do so. And I see the effort that he gives. And I see the ability – that he has, because I, you know, whether 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 anybody is worthy of whether you know anybody who's not a quarterback or an edge rusher, to be completely honest with you, is worthy of the fifth overall pick. And I think we can have that uh, conversation at much greater length. Corey, it's not his fault that he was drafted there, but people expect production commensurate with the fifth overall pick, and in an offense that is so run-heavy, in an offense where you have A.J. Brown and you have multiple options, John U. Smith, Adam Humphreys, they got, uh, they got quite a bit out of Tajay last year as a hugely versatile fourth-wide receiver. It's never been a question to me, Harry, that Corey Davis wants it. It's no. just that the guy on the other side of him at this point in the offense – commands so much more attention than he seems to on a regular basis and I don't know what him and Tannehill were missing last year because I think there's a there's a lot to place at for as good as Ryan Tannehill was fantastic last year as good as he was there were times when him and Corey Davis just weren't syncing up understanding that this offseason is unlike anybody any that anyone has ever experienced this how can we how can we evaluate Corey heading into this year with the understanding of all of those things on the front end? Well, it depends on who you are and what you're evaluating. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, if you're someone who knows the game of football, you do understand that, okay, yes, Corey Davis is drafted as the fifth receiver, but you got to understand you do have A.J. Brown on the other side. You do have Derrick Henry. Um, you, have, you have to understand he has been in a run-heavy offense first, even when I was there. That's just the way it was. So – you can't too much. Put, you can't put too much into that. You you have to put a, a lot of, a lot on. Um, what is he doing when the ball's not coming to him? Is he a team guy? Uh, does he celebrate with his teammates? Is he the first one there to pick a guy up when they get tackled? Um, is he a head case? In, in Corey's case, he is not. He is one of the most humble young men I've ever been around, and I just love that about him. But when it comes to production, I, I, I'll give you something. And like I said, I watch a ton of film. Um, and I can't remember the exact wait, quickly before you get into the analysis, Harry, you can follow Harry Douglas's film study on Instagram. He posts a lot of great stuff at yeah. hdouglas83. You can follow him on Twitter, on Instagram. Harry does a great job breaking it down socially for the people. Harry Douglas is for the people above all else. Now, what I'm about to say is it's, it's no knock on anyone. It's no knock on anyone. I'm just telling you from my football mind. Uh, I can't I can't remember if it was the Colts game or, or if it was the Texans game, but I believe it was a fourth down. Was it the Colts game? It was a fourth down, and the Titans needed to convert to keep the drive alive. And Corey Davis, I, I think the play calls were slants. Corey Davis. Texans. This is the Texans, Texans game. 
made his guy fall down on the slant and possibly would have went in and scored on the play. And I can't remember if it was Marcus or if it was, I think it was Marcus early on. Yeah. Threw it to AJ Brown on the other side and it was incomplete. Now, me being a guy that I am and, and understanding football, is A.J. Brown – I think A.J. Brown's going to lead the, uh, the, the NFL in receiving yards this year. I just, I just think he's that, that type of guy. Now, in saying that, coming into last year, A.J. was a young guy. He was finding his way early on. In that situation, I'm throwing that ball to Corey Davis 10 times out of 10. Point blank period. It's the veteran. He knows what to do on the play. He That's he just like early around. on when I was in Atlanta and we had Roddy and Julio, and people used to ask me if the game's on the line, who am I throwing the football to? I'm throwing the ball to Roddy White. Yeah. He was our vet. He was our guy. I seen him do it over, over and over again. It's just that's just my football mind, period. Now, Corey works hard, he trains hard, and he does what he's supposed to do. Um the rest is, is for him just to go and grab. Don't wait for – I tell him, don't wait for anybody to give you anything. Go out and take what you want. Right. And that's, that's, what, that's what the Titans have been looking for in their wide receiver core. From the time that you were brought in to help start the revamp, because obviously they were going through some things transitionally. They had been a bad team for quite some time, and they were trying to just restructure the roster. Wide receiver was an obvious need. They drafted Corey. They drafted Taewon. They had Tajay from the year prior, and things were starting to build and have built in a direction where I think that's the strongest position that they have. Let's spend a little time on AJ. By the way, that is the Colts game. They ended up losing that game. It was early on when they started two and four, uh, so a mistake by me there. But um, let's talk about AJ Brown because you have said that you believe he's going to lead the league in receiving. Now, we've talked about the offense on the front end. We understand that there's not a ton of volume. In a run-first offense, an offense that is going to first and foremost feature Derrick Henry. We understand that A.J. It has massive potential, massive talent, and is, uh, above all else, a dog out on the field. Like, this is an alpha-wide receiver, if ever I have seen one. All of that, all understanding all of that, I, I feel, Harry, like it's – and maybe it's just because I'm, you know, I, uh, people like me who didn't actually play, we look at things pessimistically first, right? We're analyzing what could go wrong in a way that probably does a disservice to the actual players who we're evaluating. But we start with what first might go wrong. So when I look at A.J. Brown in his sophomore year, I'm saying, okay, people know he's out there now. He's going to get a whole lot more attention than he previously was. If he sees a regression statistically, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world as long mm -hmm. as he is attracting attention. But you still think, despite all this, despite the idea that people are aware of the A.J. Brown, uh, the A.J. Brown show coming to town, you think that he still has the ability to lead the league in, uh, in receiving yards this year? And I do, and the deciding factor in that is a guy named Derrick Henry. You still have to defend the run game. Yeah. If you do not stop the run with the Titans, you will not beat them. So that's going to be the first thing in a, in a defensive coordinator, a coordinator's mindset – my first thing, when I, when I put things up in my board that week and I know I'm playing the Titans, first thing, point blank, period, we have to stop Derrick Henry. It's not we have to stop Ryan Tannehill. It's not we have to stop A.J. Brown. We have to stop Derrick Henry. How can we make Derrick Henry uncomfortable back there while he's running the football? Now, secondly, 
on third downs, you may see third and mediums, third and longs. You may see a little bit more uh, double coverage on AJ's side, but that frees up Corey one-on-one. You have a guy opposite of A.J. Brown that was drafted with the number five pick in the draft. And that those are times where Corey's going to have to capitalize on. You, you have to capitalize on that. And speaking of this wide receiver group, you lose a Tajay Sharp and free agency. So you have to find a fourth guy. You have to find that fourth guy because last year um, a couple of injuries hit the group and Tajay had to fill in and, 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 and Humphreys was able to come back late. But – you always have to think hypothetically, what if this guy goes down? What if, what if one guy go down? What if two guys go down? Um, I had it happen to a team I played on when I was with the Falcons. We had Roddy White and Julio Jones go down in the same year, and I had to become the number one receiver. That's the year I had my 1,000 yards. But if you prepare that way, it doesn't matter if you're the third, fourth, or fifth, or if you keep six, six guy uh, in the receiver room, if you prepare that way when the situation presents itself, itself it's nothing you have to do differently because you prepare that way no matter what and that's one of the things that I did I prepared every day as if I was the number one guy just in case I had to become the number one guy especially this year I mean God knows who's going to become the number one guy at any given point because you don't know I mean should should uh, God forbid infections start to pop up in the NFL and it works its way through a locker room you don't know who's going to be available to you at any given point throughout the course of the season. It's going to be very, very difficult. Let's Tajay, Tajay was so good as a fourth wide receiver, and he was good when he was called upon because there was a time when Tajay Sharp was the, was the go-to wide receiver in your guys' offense in his rookie year, and he was able to produce when called upon in that former fashion. But he, Tajay, when, when placed into those positions, he was so good because he could play all three positions uh, wide receiver. You can play both. Uh, Listen, I, I don't mean to cut you off. No, do it. Do it. Harry, but if you're going to be in media, you got to know that you can cut me off whenever the hell you want to. You just said the most key thing you could have ever said within this conversation. <laughs> and I explain it to high school guys. I explain it to young receivers in college. I explain it to young receivers and rookies in the NFL. You cannot come in and think you're just going to play the X receiver. You cannot come in and think you're just going to play the Z position. You cannot come in and think you're just going to play F. The more you know, the more you can do, the more you're going to be around. And you damn sure better be playing special teams. Yeah. I played with a guy, Eric Weems, who played 11 years in the NFL. You want to know how Eric Weems played 11 years in the NFL? Special teams, special baby. Teams. You, when I was in Atlanta, you want to know how Eric Weems started getting the football on offense? From the return game, punt returns and kickoff returns, making plays. You want to know how Tyreek Hill became Tyreek Hill? Special teams. Making plays on special teams. Because when a coach sees you making plays on special teams, the first thing is going to tick off in him and the G in general manager's mind is, hey, we need to find other ways to get this guy involved. We need to find other ways to get this guy to football. Yeah. So for guys to come in and think, okay, I'm going to be in here. I'm just going I'm, I'm going to work my way to the number one receiver. Yes, that should be your mindset, but you shouldn't bank on that. Because if you have a Corey Davis, if you have a, uh, uh, I mean, a, a Corey Davis and an A.J. Brown, you're not just going to come in and play X and Z. It's, it's not happening. Right. <laughs> it's not happening. Right. And, and the Titans have a guy like that who, as from a tryout player, found his way a roll through the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Adam Humphreys and ultimately <laughs> parlayed that into a $9 million, you know, $9 million and change, 
uh, a year contract. There, there are examples of that all over the league. And Eric Weems was brought here, I remember, specifically for his expertise, for his ability to help on special teams. You can last a long time in the NFL where careers are so, so – I mean, the, the average career I think is just over three years at this point. You can last so much longer and find so, much, so many more opportunities for yourself if you just learn how to be unselfish. I think that's one of, the, what, one, of the, one of the best lessons that can be taken from football as a team concept is the, the putting aside of one's individual goals, outside of what we talked about earlier, winning against your man, one-on-one -on -one matchups in that way. The ability to learn how to be unselfish, I think, is one of the best lessons that we can learn from football. A lot of guys – are going to miss out on the lessons that they can be taught from football this year, Harry. We don't know what the hell's going on with college football at this point. We know that the ACC, your conference, is still up in the air. We know that the SEC, they're looking to play. It just means more down here, baby. They're looking for it. Uh, and the Big 12 has said, all, all, uh, all, all, all go. We're going to play, and with the majority of the Power Five, they're going to, you know, they're going to wait it out and see whether they can get the season off the ground. You've been watching a ton of college tape uh, in your study in preparation um, for this coming college football season. I, I guess just your initial thoughts before we talk about some X's and O's from the college game, Harry, what, what do we, what is your opinion of how the college football season has been handled? I, I don't want to poison your opinion with how I feel about the situation. Um, the first thing I will say about it is that, you had a, a numerous amount of time to come up with plan A, B, C, and D. I know a lot of people say it was good for everyone to just wait it out, but when you look at the Pac-12 and you look at the Big Ten, when you do just wait it out, you end up in the situations that they're in right now. Now, to the Pac-12's uh, point, they are in a state majority in a lot, lot of well, a couple teams in the Cal in California, but I, I do think the West is 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 going to be a little bit more difficult versus the Big Ten. I don't think you had you have cases spiking um, like you have on the West Coast up in Big Ten country. Now, I don't think they should have made the decisions so quickly. I thought one thing they should have done, like the other three conferences did, was just wait it out, play it by ear, and you can always counsel it because when you go ahead and counsel early on, it's hard to come back from that. It's, it's hard to come oh, back yeah. from. That. Because all the changes that these coaches in these, in these programs have probably made right now so far, um, they probably just stopped everything. So you can't just make these, make these decisions so quickly. Now, I'm all for health. If the game of football is safe to play, but you can't tell me the game of football is not safe to play, and, but you, you're sending everyone else back to school. Oh, it's, that's, it's totally that's one of the things I can't, I can't wrap my mind around. Oh, nobody you, have all, you have all these, these universities – um, starting about to start back up school, allowing these kids back on campus, but you tell the the football department and fall sports that they can't play sports. I don't understand that one bit because if I'm not safe playing football, I'm not safe being in the student athletic center eating lunch. I'm not safe being in a courtyard with a lot of people. I'm not safe being in the classroom with a lot of people. So I don't understand uh, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten saying that their best interest is the players and they're looking out for the players, student athletes first. If, don't just look out for the student athletes. Look out for the entire student body. Look out for the professors. Right. Look out for everyone, not just the student athletes. 
Well, and, and you know, I, you've been through that process as, as having been a student athlete at Louisville. I, I don't have that perspective, but I, you know, I sit there and, and laugh every time that they try and tell me that it's for the safety of the student athlete. When in, in reality, Harry, from at least from my oh, perspective, you know it's not the liability. They're trying to save their own asses. I mean, come on. It's all always, about money. It's always been. Like, I've, I, I love college sports. College, I'm, I went to Indiana. College basketball is the sport that I love the most. But I know how dirty and how money, how money, how money, just how greedy everything has become in a way that's totally contorted. And it's been like this for a long time. Like, this is no, not new information. It's just during the middle of the global pandemic that we're all experiencing, never before has it just been so laid bare in front of us that, oh, no, we've always known that we've always known in the back of our heads that you guys were just about the money. Now, in reality, we understand, oh, it really is just all about the money. It drives me crazy. And, and Buck, it's, it's, it's one of those things where when you look at, I think the Big 12 and the, and the, I mean, the Big 10 and the Pac-12 looked at this now. Okay, we had this concussion thing going on with the NFL a couple of years ago. Uh, the NFL got sued. They're like, hmm, there may be a few lawsuits here and there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look out for our best interests instead. <laughs> yeah, it's like what Andrew Brandt uh, tweets all the time. There will be lawyers. Uh, anytime something comes up, there will be lawyers without question. But in the back of their mind, they have to understand this. Um, and it's in the Bible. Money is the root of all evil. Don't let it drive you. One thousand percent. It's a real And it exposes. It brings. It brings to light so many people's true colors. Yep. Uh, you know, it's just if people just pay more attention to a good book, Harry, maybe we wouldn't be in as many bad <laughs> situations as we are in the in the year of the Rona, twenty twenty. Just an unmitigated disaster at every turn. Let's talk about let's talk about X's and O's, though, because you've been watching. You've been watching so much film. I see it on your story. I see. I follow you on Twitter, so I see your uh, your play breakdowns. Then uh, there again at H Douglas eighty three is where you follow Harry Douglas on the socials. The thing that I observe most as an NFL reporter, who you know, because we live in SEC country, I have a talk show. I've got to talk about the balls. I've got to talk about the SEC. I watch college football as a part of my job, but my day to day is covering the NFL team. The thing that I'm always most curious about, Harry, is when you watch college football and then you go and watch NFL on Sundays, what, what concepts are you seeing that – are you seeing concepts that are trickling up from college to the pros? Are you noticing things on film when you're watching college football on Saturday that you notice perhaps in an Andy Reid scheme or an Arthur Smith scheme? Here in uh, here in Nashville, what kind of trickle up effect are you seeing from college play callers? I'll say from a standpoint of um, I'll say five to eight years ago, it would have been very very minimal of the things that you see from the college football game transferring over to the uh, pro game when it came to offense and looking at offenses and and route concepts and and protections and hots and reads and things of that nature. Now that we're living in an era where you have more um, dual threat quarterbacks, where you can implement the the zone read and, and things of that nature and guys who can escape the pocket and make plays with their feet. I'll, I'll give it about a 30 percentage of things from the college football game coming to the NFL now. And you see it with Kyler Murray. You see it with Deshaun Watson. I, I can honestly tell you this. When we played Deshaun Watson, I think against us, 
may have been the first or second game that he started when I was in uh, Tennessee. The defense told me the things that they had on tape was nothing that the Texans ran. They basically, Texans basically copied and pasted Deshaun Watson's offense from college and went out there and ran it against us. And I believe that's the game they put up, I think, about 50-plus, if I'm not mistaken, 40 or 50-plus almost. I remember that. I believe, I believe, if I remember correctly, did Marcus get hurt in that game? He did. Yeah, because that, 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 it, was, it was competitive uh, until that point, and then things yeah. kind of fell apart when Castle had to go in there, and, and it was just – uh, I do remember that game very vividly. That's right, because Bill O'Brien had adapted all of these concepts that they had taken from Clemson and then expanded on it in a way that Deshaun Watson didn't need. You know, he could he could recognize recognize what he was seeing on the from the defense, but not not necessarily have to focus on the defense as much because he knew how to execute the play calls, and it was made much easier on him uh, by that. I thought that was you know it's one of the best coaching jobs I've seen Bill O'Brien do. And when it comes to the college and NFL game now, when I'm when I'm reviewing and breaking down film, now I'm, I'm helping a young man right now try to understand coverages and uh, techniques of D linemen and the difference between a three four and a four three. And in the college game, you see a lot of a four two five. You may see a three three five. You may see a a, 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 a three um, excuse me three two six where you have six DBs on the field. In the kind NFL, of just for all these all these wide open offenses, one thousand percent. In the NFL, uh, there's times you will see six DBs, but you will see one or two of those guys being safeties who can defend the run game. And I give you a prime example where when the Eagles played the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, one of the things that the Eagles did was so we played them that same year. Remember we lost to New England. One thousand percent. And nothing against our linebackers. I love them 100%. But no, I same names, myself, Harry. Just take them out. <laughs> I told myself, just by watching film, if our linebackers have to guard their running backs, it's going to be a long night. Yeah. And that was the biggest difference um, in our game was the running backs of the New England Patriots going against our linebackers. So when the Eagles played them in the Super Bowl, you want to know what the Eagles did? We're going to bring more DBs in. We're going to put Malcolm Jenkins on the running back. So, so and I, I vividly remember this play. New England tried to run a double move or a go route on the outsiders on the left side of the field, and Malcolm Jenkins just stopped it because he's used to seeing things like that. He's a former corner who moved to safety and, and is a very, very smart player um, and studies film, watched tons of film, and understands what's coming based on – alignment of a running back, an alignment of, of the offense. And that's what you have to do. Things of that nature, you, you, have to, you have to match up to your opponent. And I think New England in the past with Tom Brady did a great job. You may see New England pass for three or 400 yards one week, but then run for 300 the next week and pass for only 100-plus yards. You adapt to the opponent that you're playing. Now, don't get me wrong. You still have your principles and what you do and what you do best, but you adapt your mindset in, 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 your, in, your, in your offense to the team that you're playing on defense and what they can give you. Give me, because we got, we got to have you explain some tweets. We do it with almost every guest that we have on here. We have intern Reed waiting in the background, ready to ask Harry Douglas about what he's been tweeting about. But before we do that, Harry, give me one player 
that you are excited to watch, whether their season is happening or not, based on the film that you've been studying, one player that you're most excited to see or that you were most excited to see in this upcoming college football season? Well, the, the player I was uh, <laughs> most hyped about seeing is, is not playing for medical reasons was Justin Ross. Yeah. Because I want to see his development um, uh, route running wise, uh, getting off and defeating press coverage. But since now Justin Ross is gone, I'm going to go with Tutu Atwell. Okay. Wide receiver. Some Just names. recently broke my record in uh, most receiving yards in a season two last year. You salty? No. No, the records records are absolutely made to be broken. I I kid, of course, but you know I always wonder when every time Drew Brees passes a Peyton Manning record, is Peyton just sitting there cursing Drew Brees's name while he's eating Papa John's and driving a Buick around? Harry (laughs) Douglas here with us on the six one five sessions. All right, Reed, you may reveal yourself. You may ask Harry Douglas (laughs) what he has been tweeting about. We welcome him. Go, baby, I'm ready. He's ready. This man, this man has never seen, never seen a challenge that he is not prepared to overcome. We talked about it all throughout the course of the pod. Intern Reed, I cede the floor to you. All righty. Thank you. I appreciate it. So on August 4th at 1036 a.m. Yeah, like we have timestamps on this, Harry. He's going he's gonna to get you. He's going to get you. <laughs> you tweeted out saying that the joint practices between the NFL teams will be sorely missed, that you used to love those practices because they were something different in training camp. So my question is, what do you have a specific story from a joint training that you enjoyed the most, or what happened there? Oh, Reed is trying to spice it up a little bit. Yes, he is. Technically, you probably want me to say the one I probably got in a fight in. Um, on hard knocks, but no, that's not my favorite one. Breed. I'm well, not no, gonna... no. Remind the people, Harry, because we are we are several seasons re- removed from the Atlanta. Fa- unless you would prefer not to, this is your choice. Listen, it's, it's in it's in the past. It's in the past. But I am <laughs> gonna tell you the one I, I am going to tell you the one I love the most, though. When I was in Atlanta, we was practicing against the New England Patriots, and that's when they had Randy Moss, Wells Welker, um, Tom Brady, and all those guys on their team. So, normally in a New England offense, when a receiver catches a ball, he has to come back and get the next play or whatnot, right? Randy Moss throws his arm up, throws his arm up on a post route, like he normally does, throws his arm up, catches it one hand, (laughs) and this is what Randy Moss does. He runs to the sideline and just points like this. (laughs) Immediately, somebody else go in. And the fact that it's Randy Moss – Somebody else better be taking their ass inside. Right. <laughs> 1,000%. But it was just so great. One of the reasons why I love going against other opponents in, in training camp is that you get sick and tired of going against your own guys, especially guys that see your plays every day, and you're like, damn, what's going on? Is my technique wrong? And you look back on the film, and you're like, my technique and everything is right. And it's just a DB have seen the play so many times that they oh, know what's coming. <laughs> And then you, get, you, you go practice against these other teams and you're eating them alive. Plus, I love the competition. You know you can't – when you step out on that field, well, it's, this should be your mindset regardless, but when you step out on that field against a different opponent from another team, baby, it's guns blazing from there on out. Yes, sir. There's, there's no messing around. Absolutely. Every, your mindset is that I must protect myself first. <laughs> Don't get anybody else hurt. But if anybody is, is with the bumps and bruises, it's going to be me. No question. In turn, Reed, we are on a time crunch. We've hit the five-minute warning, so give me one more tweet for Harry Douglas. All right, I got 
one more on August 14th at 3.30. And this is also – this is going to be a question for Buck as well because we're going to get into this. But So uh, Harry tweets out that you're going through your wife's clothes to find all the matches to your socks because you have only 14 left-footed socks in the laundry basket. So where are the right-footed socks? So my question is, does your wife hoard your socks? And Buck, does your girlfriend take any – hoodies or anything from you like do i have to look forward to girlfriend steals hoodies wife steals socks or what's the order going here harry Listen, you go first i'm gonna tell you this <laughs> you better look forward to everything that you own <laughs> being rumbled through yeah. <laughs> trust me listen my wife is it's times where i'm walking downstairs and i walk very quietly i'm trying to be light on my feet and i come in the bedroom and i see my wife and i said babe what are you doing in my drawer Oh, um, I just wanted to get a wife beater or I just wanted to get a, a pair of socks. Where are your socks? Yeah. And then I go to wash my socks and I literally have 14 pair of one side of socks and the other pair, the other, the other side of the socks is nowhere to be found, but nowhere to be found. Harry, I, this is a phenomenon and I, you know, I don't, I don't want this to be construed as sexist, but this is something that women do. They mismatched socks. This is something discernibly that women do in a way that is infuriating to me. So yes, to answer your question, Reed, I have had many articles of clothing stolen over the duration of my relationship with my lovely girlfriend, whom I love very much, and who, uh, until the end of time, Harry, I'm sure you are the same way with your wife, uh, are going to continue to steal our articles of clothing, regardless of how. It's not stopping, it's not stopping at all. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not negotiable. Many things in life are negotiable. The idea that your significant other will be stealing your clothing on a regular basis. That is, and, and we can't reciprocate. I'm not taking her socks. You're not taking her socks, Harry. I don't know what else we could do. Pray. That's all we got. <laughs> it started with the good book. When I'm rambling through her clothes and trying to find my stuff. Then you see the attitude. Why are you going through my stuff? Yeah. Uh, okay. Then I look up at the sky like, okay, why am I going through your stuff? Because I have 14 one-sided pair of socks. <laughs> I'm going through your stuff to find my stuff. That's what I'm doing, honey. That's all I'm trying to do. The great Harry Douglas former Titans receiver, former Falcons receiver, an NFL vet of 10 years, and now one of the best and brightest upcoming analysts in the business. He's done great work with our friend Jason Fitz, whom we can say, who honestly the only reason we have the show is because of Jason Fitz. That's my boy. Uh, it's one, one of the best in the business. Harry, I appreciate getting to spend some time with you. I hope you and the family are safe and well. Thanks for doing this uh, today on the 615 Sessions. No problem at all. Y'all have a blessed day. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. The man who does not sleep, who has been all over the internet all morning with all the news that is breaking in Tennessee's world and in the SEC. Cade Mays, waiver denied, schedules are out. It is David Ubbin of The Athletic, the exceptional Vols reporter. Uh, David, I appreciate you taking some time this morning. I know you, I know they're working you hard today. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, an interesting 12 hours, but at least we have actual football news to talk about, uh, mostly unconnected to a virus, which is uh, refreshing after the last four months of shutdown and, and all that stuff. It was uh, it was good to talk about 
schedules and depth charts and practice yesterday. Uh, it doesn't really, uh, you know, erase the reality that America still finds itself in, but it's nice to be able to think about something else for a little while. I, I swear to you, David, I'm, I, I, it's not true, but I'm never going to complain about a schedule, uh, about schedule talk <laughs> ever again after all of this. It was, you're, you're right. It was such a, uh, so, so refreshing, as you said, to be able to just kind of sink into the red meat. Uh, like we normally do, maybe a little later, maybe under different circumstances, but a lot of news with the volunteers in particular and with the SEC world in general removed from the virus lately. So we have Cade Mays, the UT offensive lineman. His waiver, Jeremy Pruitt, announced to the media yesterday was denied as he tries uh, as he tries to get granted immediate eligibility in transferring from Georgia to UT. Tennessee is now appealing. Uh, you got the hashtag free Cade Mays going around on social media. Isaiah Wilson here with the Titans. Jarek Arantano. You got coaches. You got congressmen. All of it. How, David, did we get to this point where Cade Mays now finds himself denied? Well, these decisions are always a little bit unpredictable. Uh, this offseason, the idea of a one-time uh, you know, immediate eligibility for all transfers came up, uh, the NCAA rule changes. I think it, without the pandemic, it probably gets passed. Um, but the pandemic, you know, they, they just sort of tabled it. They had a lot of other things they were trying to get to um, and, and weren't able to really give that discussion um, that, that they wanted to. I think it will be there eventually. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, he transfers from, from, uh, from Georgia. Tennessee's been confident. You know, their legal representation has been confident. Uh, and so this was um, this was a surprise to everybody from from Tennessee and, and their representation. They felt like they had a really good case and documented it well. And uh, you know, I think they've got a shot to win the appeal. But you know, these kinds of things are always really hard to predict. And uh, you know, I talked to Tom Mars, who had helped them early on in their case. He hasn't represented them for a while, but uh, you know, he joked that it feels like the NCAA, you know, makes these decisions using a dartboard sometimes. Yeah, the the arbitrary nature of it is what seems to have so many people frustrated. And just for context, for people listening, Tom Mars, a famous waiver attorney, he was hired by the NCAA for a time to work in enforcement. I think he just recently left that job, uh, if I saw you point that out yesterday, David. Of course, you can get yeah. David's writing, by the way, on theathletic.com, along with our friends Joe Rexroad, Adam Vingan. Well worth your, uh, your subscription. I just re-upped mine last week. So I am happy to be able to receive all of the excellent journalism being done at The Athletic. So Tom Mars has been probably the most publicly optimistic about all of this. And nobody nobody could have predicted, as you mentioned, how drastic an effect the pandemic would have on you know all of our lives, much less the waiver transfer, pro, uh, the transfer portal process in college football. But the arbitrary nature is something that seems to reoccur with every position that's really not quarterback, or at least that's the thing that people want to point out on Twitter. Is there, with with these new rule changes that are being tabled until 2021, will this become a much cleaner process on the other side of this, and it's just simply about the timing for Cade Mays? Well, I mean, I suppose, you know, you mentioned it, the one-time waiver is coming. I just think that, you know, the, whether the inconsistencies are there or not, they're perceived inconsistencies. The NCAA consistently shooting itself in the foot on these deals um, because schools and the NCAA can't comment on why they make these decisions. And then you have people just raging into the, into the abyss with, 
you know, the NCAA is not listening. Like, it's just not. Right. And it's hard to explain why some guys get it, some guys don't. You know, I wrote about this earlier um, this year, you know, talking to Tom Mars. Some of that is the, the work that the compliance offices do, and, and that can uh, feed into that. Um, but, but you know, it's when, people, when these things happen and people don't know why they happen, it, it frustrates people because nobody can give you a good explanation. Um, and so that is, you know, an issue. And I think that it's going to simplify the process if you just give everybody a one-time free transfer and then no waivers. You don't have to make those decisions. It frees up the workload uh, in the NCAA offices and, and it eliminates some of this um, subjectivity. You know, do I think that there, you know, that more quarterbacks, you know, are able to get uh, waivers or, you know, that bigger schools have more power. I don't really, I really don't think any of that stuff factors in. I honestly don't. Um, but the, the reality is that when you don't have a transparent process, you sort of feed into and you allow those things to build up. And, you know, the NCAA is really, really good at getting people to hate them. And this, this whole waiver issue is one more thing where, you know, this is just not helping them. <laughs> the the line of the year on this podcast by David uh, David Oven of the Athletic is the NCAA is not listening. If anything has ever been true right now, David, <laughs> it's that yeah. the NCAA is not listening to that. Just to kind of detour from from the Tennessee specific stuff for a second, we haven't talked to you in a while. What what's it been like to be a college football reporter? right now with the way that you see things kind of developing around you. I, I, I'm looking at this from afar and just kind of reading uh, your coverage and seeing the way, you know, seeing the way that college football seems to be in its most perilous position ever as a sport. What has it been like to cover this? Uh, not great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I think like fans, you know, I like college football. There's a reason why I cover college football. It's my favorite sport. The idea of a fall without it, I can't even really wrap my head around it. Um, but it's sort of been trending in that direction for a long time. And, and you hope things can change and, and the circumstances can allow it, but it doesn't look good. And so it's just been a dark cloud over all this stuff. You know, I think back in March, uh, you know, I think that was easy to believe. You know, this is, we got to do these things, but, you know, surely come August or September, things will be better and, and they'll be able to play football. And the closer you got, and then, of course, you saw cases spike as, as things uh, reopened, it it just uh, it didn't look like it was super promising. And, and we'll see now um, how it goes, but uh, it's, um, you know, it's been weird. I, I haven't really had issues like finding stuff to write about. I think this is, you know, in an off season, unlike any other, there's all kinds of sort of new things to write about and different kinds of stuff like that. But it's um, the whole cloud of the idea that you might not have a season is, is it's been tough to, to operate underneath. Uh, see, I, I said on the front end that it was so refreshing to have actual football stuff to talk about, and then I immediately brought us back to the pandemic. I don't know. I don't. I don't know <laughs> you what's. You can't wrong. escape it. It's everywhere. Uh, you know. It's it's just crazy. I I realized that as I was asking you the question, I'm like, the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> we actually have stuff to talk about in the football world, and you got it. You got to do it. But it's it's you know I'm look just just from the NFL's perspective, we're the training camp is back. Uh, in some form or fashion, we we are able to go to practices. Things kind of seem, you know, maybe not normal, but as close to it as humanly possible. And then you remember, uh, oh, they were supposed to have played a preseason game on Saturday, and now my entire calendar for the year just kind of feels 
off kilter again. Just all of these reminders everywhere you go. Anyway, now that we've talked about the pandemic, let's get back to the good stuff. Schedule talk. All right, the SEC releases the schedule, the 10-game interconference schedule that it has been announced they will play. Tennessee uh, has its opponents with the dates. The the Florida, uh, the hosting of Florida on December the 5th seems to be the thing that people most want to talk about just because it's so far from what they are accustomed to. I kind of like it as an end-of-season finale. Is that the thing that most popped out to you about UT's schedule last night? Yeah, I think that, and, and they only play, you know, uh, the rankings are going to be weird because you for right now you don't have two conferences, but as it stands right now, you're sort of five top 20 or top 15 games. You only have those back-to-back twice, um, and that's at the end of the season. Uh, you've got some time to breathe. You know, you don't have that sort of murderous stretch where you have Florida, Georgia, Alabama in such a short span. You, know, you might have that broken up by a non-conference game or – um, you know, some a lighter opponent at some point, but they don't have that sort of killer stretch. You know, at the end of the year, you've got a little bit of that, but you know, it's uh, I, I think Tennessee can sort of build up. You're not going to have that sort of survive October and then rebuild your resume in November. It's sort of the opposite to Tennessee. The back half is, is much tougher than the front half. So it's going to be a, a weird year. Here's hoping that, that that they play as many games as they can. I would love to see them make it to December 5th. Nothing would make me happier than to be able to talk about Tennessee, Florida in December of 2020. David Ubbin of The Athletic has been gracious with his time this morning. I know you've got many more appearances to make. You have many more podcasts to do, which, by the way, he was on the latest Andy Staples podcast. A must-listen if you are a college football fan. You can read him at The Athletic, well worth your subscription, and follow him at David Ubbin on Twitter. David, uh, really good to catch up. Hope you continue to stay safe and well, and that everything else uh, from here on out goes smoothly for us. Indeed. Thank you, guys. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Drake Hills, the OG, a podcast regular. He covers the Nashville Soccer Club for the Tennessean. You can follow him on the socials at Live Life Drake. It is good to see you, my friend. Welcome back. Yeah, it is good to be back. A couple of weeks have gone by. We went from anticipating a tournament to Nashville no longer being a tournament That's to right. Nashville going back to playing games to Nashville playing a game that is happening at one in the morning. Um, so I'm actually two days removed, or should I say one day removed, from uh, writing my my gamer and my sidebar at uh, probably around 3 a.m. So oh. I'm recovered, though. I got my I got my night of sleep. I'm good, Buck. Be back, A to Z Sports, prime time. That's right, prime baby. Time. That's right. That's right. And uh, yes, I, I've never related to anybody more in that moment because for the people, the people who don't do what we do for a living, to write, especially on a deadline. I don't really have hard deadlines like you do, but to write on a deadline after a game like that is just as physically and mentally exhausting as I have ever been in my life. The Titans, their opener, Mike Vrabel's first game, the longest game, the longest regular season game in the history of the NFL since the merger. 
seven hours worth of rain and storm and lightning delays. Nashville SC, when they went on to draw, <laughs> just That's all a goalless, but a goalless draw, <laughs> a goalless one. Just so I just like. All, at least there was a final score. At least a winner and a loser was decided in the Titans game against the Dolphins that was the longest in the history of the sport. You, my friend, <laughs> you had a much, much more difficult task ahead of you with a three-hour lightning delay or weather delay with FC Dallas and Nashville SC on Monday night. I, I pity you, truly. And, and I felt bad for the players as well, but oh. because they had on two, two occasions, according to reports, on two occasions which both teams were lined up in the tunnels with officials ready to go twice, and they had to go walk them back to the locker room because of lightning. So obviously the rule that they, that they, that they had, had heard by was lightning within a 10-mile radius, you got to start the 30-minute clock again. So based off the last lightning strike in the immediate area, there needs to be at least 30 minutes before anybody walks out to the pitch for any warm-ups or even kickoff for that matter. Yes. So it could have happened shortly after 9 o'clock. It was originally scheduled for 7.30. Obviously, it didn't happen, but it could have happened after 9 o'clock. Then they said a little bit, you know, at, at, you know closer to 10. Yep. And then they say, okay, we're going 11.07 p.m., Central Daylight Time. We're kicking it off. Lightning obliged. They were like, cool. We're not going to no, – no lightning strikes anymore. No thunder. We're going to deal with it. There wasn't any rain during the game. Um, it was much cooler, obviously. It was about to be about 91 degrees at kickoff, right. plus, plus the Dallas humidity. It ended up being around 78 degrees. So I'm sure the players enjoyed that. However, keep in mind, though, MLS protocols – there is no such thing as staying overnight. There's no hotels. There's no, we'll play it tomorrow. There's no, we'll play it in two days. No, they would have had to fly home and would have to play it, you know, weeks down the line. So um, that's tough because they had to hurry up and get on that plane. The match had ended or want to say around, I think, minutes after 1 a.m. Yeah. So... The, I think they don't. The players didn't even get on a plane until after two a.m. and probably didn't get back home like in their beds probably until three three thirty at best. Yeah, so a comedy of errors in situations like that, and it happens. You know, it happens. It seems at least once a year to some unlucky uh, or two unlucky teams who ever have to participate in those kind of matches. But uh, it um, adds a tremendous amount of strain. Now they have even more strain upcoming with Atlanta uh, and their match on Saturday. But since we have had you on last, Drake, they have, had, they have achieved the first win in the history of the franchise. Right. They, have cut, they should be congratulated and celebrated for that. They look pretty strong. I saw, I saw mostly highlights of the draw from Monday, but I was, I was keeping up with the game until I nodded off at the very end on my team. <laughs> with, just, with, with the majority of the Nashville fans, you probably did. Because but, I'll say, though, we talked about deadline writing. Surely my, my uh, five observations was, was up in time. But my sidebar, it was, you know, no one's going to read that. We're going to embargo that for the next morning. No one's going to be reading a sidebar at 3.30 uh, a.m. in the morning. But, uh, yeah, so they, they got that first win. And it's funny because they've been improving drastically every match. So if you take a look at the, the, the match from last Wednesday on the 12th, 
there was a huge, I'm not a huge, but a significant portion of the match in which Dallas was in the, was in the driver's seat, particularly and in the first five minutes and then a little bit uh, into the uh, first half and then a little bit again into the second half. They almost equalized at the end of the, at the, end of the game after David Akam had scored in the 82nd minute uh, when Nashville was already in the lead. But Sunday, this Nashville team was absolutely strangling Dallas in a sense that Dallas only had one shot on goal. They couldn't break down Nashville's back defensive back line whatsoever. It seems as if if you're just a sports fan learning about this new team, you can get you can you can get on the bandwagon if if you continuously watch this team because your experience game to game is going to change because this team is still very new. They've only played four and the past two have been drastically better than the first two. So uh, we talked about the Atlanta game. This is not going to be the same Atlanta team. They don't have the same coach. The players, they've been frustrated with their playing style. They had a horrible MLS's back tournament performance. Did not win a game. Right. Did not win. So this is a different Atlanta team as opposed to the Atlanta United team that Nashville played before that was this huge, obviously, continental powerhouse, right? Playing in the CONCACAF Champions League against teams from Mexico, against teams from Honduras, Costa Rica, the champions from all over the, the um, you know, North and, and Central America. This is not that team anymore. So it'll be very interesting to see, you know, this Atlanta team that has does not have their same player, obviously, in that Nashville match. Uh, Joseph Martinez, their best player in the reigning uh, previous MVP in 2018, he's on the injured list with a ACL. Um, he's, his, his knee is done for 2020. So this is a very different team. And the way Nashville is playing, this could be payback. We'll see, though. It's going to be an interesting matchup, to be sure. And I think that's an excellent point that you made about how they're still kind of just learning each other from an right. on-pitch on perspective. This right. is a team that's still very, very new. I mean, it's obviously very, very new, but just in terms of the, the time that it takes to build up that chemistry, to trust that your guy is going to be in the correct position when you make the pass for somebody to take a shot on goal. This is a situation where they're still trying to feel each other out, much less uh, compete in a time that's hugely unprecedented when everybody everybody has been being made un to experience some kind of adversity, some kind of discomfort, I think exactly. that you can you can absolutely see the growth that you referenced in through the first four games that we've mm -hmm. seen. Certainly, the last two. And you know what? Another cool thing about Nashville fans being excited about this team, and going back to my notion that this team just continues to build off one block and then it's two blocks and then it's three blocks of just the progression and success that they have in their performances that the first home match since the since the debut February 29th first home match is at the end of this month August 30th against the other expansion team Inter Miami so fans will get a chance to see you know okay that was another expansion team let's see in the construct of expansion how good are we how good is Nashville? How good can Nashville be? So these next couple of weeks are going to be crucial for Nashville, not only just on the field, but I think growing themselves into the hearts of the Nashville faithful as well. 
Yeah, I and I th- people are people are people are receptive. I think <laughs> you know you're always going to have, especially you know, sports talk radio is one thing because it's an older <laughs> audience. There, this is football country, SEC country, yada yada yada. We're, we're, we we want to talk about football season. You always get a little bit of that on the front end, but it seems just as a as a market at large, people have really been willing to lend themselves to mm-hmm. this team. And I think I don't really know how much question there was about that, Drake, before before they actually began MLS play. I think people were always open to the idea of, okay, we're gonna we're gonna support another professional sports team in town. And I think that you've kind of seen that as people have experienced that growth that you're mentioning, people people will be able to get a better measure of it against another expansion team in Miami. If you had to take one thing to pinpoint to say that the audience that the fans need to be watching for on Saturday when Nashville faces Atlanta, what would you have them watch specifically? What would you have them focus on? I would say watching the particular players. So on the field, there's two particular players that I think that they would be quite entertained by if they want to be thrilled by this new toy that is soccer and that is major league soccer as a entire league you're looking at Randall Leal Costa Rica international he's you know a young 23 year old very spicy very flamboyant lots of dribbling skills likes to take players on one-on-one show that that competitiveness that's entertaining love a showboat big fan give me give me all of the swag just a little bit, you know, just a little bit of, That's you fine. know, just a little, little bit of shoulder move, you know, That's a little right. bit of shimmy, like you said, a little <laughs> bit of shimmy. You know, I think I think fans will, will, will be interested to know, okay, there's this new team, but how can I be entertained? How can I enjoy what I'm watching? If I'm really trying to go out of my way, so to speak, that's not watching Victor Arvidsson and Forsberg and, you know, those guys at the Preds and then watching Derrick Henry go for 100-plus in a game or Tannehill doing what he does, A.J. Brown jumping onto the scene. Who's going to be that guy for me with Nashville SC? I yeah. think that could be Randall Leal. I think Hani Mukhtar is still – he's the designated player, the guy that, you know, his salary and, and his transfer was above the, the, the budget – uh, surcharge for MLS franchises. He's the guy, the designated player. Um, he's the big signing, right? The guy was flown on a, you know, a Mr. Ingram jet to get to Nashville from from Germany. I mean, he's that he's that guy, right? He's the poster boy, so to speak. So I think those two they play up front in an attacking midfield. Randall Leal plays in the left wing, out wide. You've got Honey Mukhtar centrally. He's pulling the strings. He's trying to make plays. He's trying to set folks up. He takes the free kicks. He was the guy who assisted Walker Zimmerman in Nashville's first goal in, back in February against Atlanta. So those are two guys, right? Yeah. Off the field, it's Nashville versus Atlanta. Yes. That that's I'm, I'm sure that's always going to be something that, you know, some of Nashville is going to want to claim, right? Because – you know, it's not like we're we're New Orleans where we've had this this big rivalry with with Atlanta just in pretty much everything, anywhere from if you're an LSU fan and you got a bunch of Georgia Bulldog fans up in Atlanta, or you know you're a Saints fan and you've got you've got the Falcons and you know big divisional battle. This is this is has the potential to be that if Atlanta can get back to where it is and if Nashville can 
start to make leaps and bounds of progress from where they were in February. So the big rivalry, right? And that's the win against Atlanta. That's, you know, you, you beat Atlanta in Atlanta. They beat you in Nashville. Hopefully with this virus, we get some sort of normal season in 2021. And then you can start to see a little bit of headbutting, friendly rivalry between the ownership groups, between the, the front offices. You know, you'd love to see it. And I think those are just a couple of things that I think fans should, should want to watch out for. Sure. Give, give people something to search, uh, circle on their schedules when they're looking at the exactly. upcoming Nashville SC season. They see Atlanta. They know, they know you know, it's, it's, it's big brother in, in ATL versus little brother right. here in Nashville SC. I think that is of huge importance for, yeah. any, uh, for any sports league and for any fan base to truly uh, gain attachment, the ability to hate somebody else on the other side. It's what sports fans. Yeah, kind of like the one thing where you get to go out into the street at your house, have a race with your brother, you win, you get back to the dinner table, you know, you got your whole family sitting around and you just get to look at them and be like, yeah. Yeah, and then you kick him in the shit under the table and you, and you tell him to shut the hell up if he tries to squeal about it to your parents. That's how you handle things. <laughs> yeah, because you, you, you own him because you beat him in the race. That's right. You know? You got the bragging rights. Winners eat first. That's how it goes. (laughs) Drake Hills of the Tennessee, and he covers Nashville SE. He does a spectacular job doing that for that particular news outlet at Live Life. Drake is where you follow him. More life at Live Life, Drake, for all things Nashville SE. Buddy, I appreciate you taking some time and continue to stay uh, safe and well, and we'll catch up with you here soon. Yeah, Beck, be easy, man. Thank you so much for having me, and take care. All right, I'm going to do my best to take five good minutes before anything else breaks and this podcast is immediately invalidated as it was not moments ago when Mayor John Cooper made the announcement. Well, actually, the Titans made the announcement on their own terms first. A season ticket holder email was sent out, the contents of which detailed that the Tennessee Titans would not be permitted to host the season opener, excuse me, the home opener, against the Jacksonville Jaguars on September the 20th with fans in the stands. Here is what the season ticket email reads for those of you who are not season ticket holders for the Tennessee Titans. As you all know, we have been working diligently over the past few months with league, state, and local officials and health experts on a solution for fan attendance at Titans games this season. This morning, Nashville Mayor John Cooper and the Titans will announce together the Titans versus Jags home opener on September 20th will be played without fans due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Burke Nihil was at the podium down there in uh, Mayor Cooper's press conference. Let us go to that audio courtesy of Jim Wyatt at J. Wyatt Sports. Thank you, Mayor Cooper, for inviting us to be here with you today. Before I say anything else, I'd like to mention that we at the Tennessee Titans are thinking of everyone impacted by the effects of the COVID-19 virus, as well as our healthcare workers who are working tirelessly to help us get through this pandemic. There's certainly no denying that we wish we would be opening our home schedule on September 20th in front of fans. Professional football is a game meant to be played in front of a loud, cheering crowd, and no one desires that outcome more than us. However, these are not normal times. And as civic leaders in this great city, We understand and support Mayor Cooper and Metro Nashville Public Health Department's decision today to delay welcoming fans into Nissan Stadium. Over the past many months, we have partnered with the city and the world's foremost health experts 
to build a safety plan to get fans back to Nissan Stadium. We are all confident that the safe stadium plan we built together is an extremely thorough, comprehensive plan that is ready to implement as soon as the time is right. We can't thank Dr. Caldwell, the health department staff, and the mayor's office enough for their collaboration and support of our safe stadium plan. I'd like to take a moment to speak to Titans fans all across our region. Titans fans, we need you to be diligent about limiting the spread of this deadly virus. We need you to wear a mask and encourage your friends and family to wear masks so we can welcome fans back to Nissan Stadium soon. In the coming weeks, we will partner with the city to communicate the safety messages necessary to continue the progress Nashville is making in its battle against the COVID-19 virus. We need to keep moving the chains, Nashville, and I know Titans fans can help lead the way. I can assure you of this. This virus will not deter us from our mission to bring you an exciting, competitive season of Titans football. We hope our fans can cheer us on at Nissan Stadium soon. But in the meantime, look forward to feeling everyone's support and energy from home as we kick off the season with Monday Night Football on September 14th. Thank you. So that is Titans President CEO Burke Nihill today, this morning, as we're taping this podcast, announcing that the Titans will not open with fans. I have just literally received an email as we're taping this, and I will read it with you guys for the first time. On Tuesday, August 18th, Nashville Mayor John Cooper and the Titans announced that the Titans home opener against the Jacksonville Jags on September 20th would be held without fans as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The Titans are working tirelessly in conjunction with local health experts, including the Metro Health Department, to build the Titans safe stadium plant. So they will continue to, and there's it goes on for much longer as to what they're doing specifically, and we will discuss that at a later date. But we know now, a month in advance, that the Titans won't open with fans in the stands. And I think this is no surprise to anybody who's been paying attention. It's five good minutes today. It's not five good minutes. It's five shitty minutes. We're being completely honest because we are, as a city... Not in a place where we can be trusted to have these large social gatherings. Sports is a function of a healthy society. We are quite literally, by the definition, not a healthy society as it relates to COVID-19. And I'm not going to use this as an opportunity to hit people over the head with wear your damn masks, although you should be anyway, and do all of these things to make sure that we can go and we can have somewhat normal Sunday experiences But also, I think this was done far too early. I don't know how much time it takes to put... And listen, admittedly, I do not know how much time it takes to put together a safe stadium plan. I understand that there is a ton of moving parts with the global pandemic. And the more that I talk about this out loud, because this news is literally just broken. I haven't had time to get my thoughts together, to be honest with you. So it's wonderful that I would do it in front of a microphone. I just don't know. Maybe two weeks is the appropriate m- amount of time. We don't know how this looks. You don't. You want to. You want to make sure that you give people enough time. Whose employment, by the way, relies on the attendance of fans in the stands, ticket takers, concession stand workers, people, janitorial services, all of these things that go into a game day function. You got to make sure that you have a plan to keep them safe. At this time, the Titans by their support of Mayor John Cooper in this decision, are saying to you, 
they do not feel comfortable with what their game day atmosphere may be based on the protocols that are being asked to be implemented. And that is a difficult decision to make. It's going to piss a lot of you off. I understand that because at this point there is no there is no plans. And now that we know that this is on hold, we know that this is a situation where the Titans, we don't know when the next time that we're going to have fans in Nissan Stadium. As of the 20th, it starts... Uh, maybe, maybe things have improved. Maybe things are at a point by the 20th where we can look at future dates because they will have important home games on that schedule that fans a home field atmosphere. When a team is coming off an AFC championship game appearance, you want to be able to celebrate that with your fan base. They want it and they were a part of it just as much as the players were and the players on that roster who return this year, the players Uh, the coaching staff, all of these people who won't go into the success of the organization, it's a tough call for them to have to make. And at this point, it's the only call for them to make, and it's not five good minutes on this Tuesday. It's five tough ones on the 615 sessions. Shouts to Harry Douglas, Drake Hills, and David Ubbin for their time. Shouts to you guys who rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave me submissions for the Thursday mailbag. We'll read them in the iTunes reviews. You get your comments read if you leave five stars. You are welcome to do so wherever it is that you get your podcast. In the meantime, I need you desperately, more than ever, so we can get this thing back on track. I need you to stay safe. I need you to stay clean. And I need you to stay hot, Nashville. This has been the 615 Sessions Podcast, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. 